Thank you, Whitney and Mia, so much. We welcome you to the house of the Lord in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My son lives about two football fields in distance, uh, just east of me on a 10 acres, and they have uh, a dog and three cats and eight chickens, and so we're out in the country. And every now and then, some of those animals come up missing. Well, those three cats, those kids, uh, Ethan, 15, and, and Maddie Bell, uh, uh, 10, they love their cats. And, and one of them's name is Layla. She's just, she's like a, like a rabbit. If you've ever had a rabbit, held rabbits, you, they're just, they're, they're like, they have no bones. They're just so soft. It's like a child's toy. Some of them are just, you, you pick it up, whoa, that's the softest thing I've ever felt. Well, that's Layla. She came up missing about seven days ago. Kids just knew she was gone. Like I say, sometimes uh, larger animals would get our cats and our chickens, and we never see them again. Well, last night we got a text from my 15-year-old grandson, and he's holding Layla. We knew she was gone. We'd never see her again. So they take her and they put her in the barn where she lives under her heat lamp and they fed her and they gave her water, tucked her in, in her little bed. You know, sometimes things show back up. There's 7.2 billion Christians on earth, almost one-third of all the humans on earth. They call themselves Christians. For over 2,000 years we've been waiting for Christ to come back. Some will decide that he's never going to come back, that he's never going to show up. We'll never see him again. But we know he will. The Scriptures tell us that he will, that he will return. He'll come up in the east. And all of the graves and almost all cemeteries in the United States face east because the graves will be open and will rise and we'll see him come. We'll know him. There will be no doubt. Someday we'll see Him, and He will return. That's why we're here. You've made an effort in faith to show up. You got up and you fixed your hair. You took a shower, some of you, and some of you put on makeup. Some of, some of the men put on ties. That's an act of faith. And you will be blessed for making that effort. Thank you for being here today. All of us up here on the front rostrum love you and pray for you. And I hope that you will leave more committed, more loving than when you walked in the door. For a call to worship, I'd like to read these words. I will praise Thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all Thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in Thee. I will sing praise to Thy name, O Thou Most High. We will sing hymn number 13.
Almighty God, eternal Heavenly Father, as children of Thine, we gather this beautiful sunny Sabbath day to worship Thee. Dear Father, I would pray for this service that Thou might uh, loosen our minds and our hearts to receive that message that Thou hast for us, and that Thou might use Thy servant, Brother Jared, to bring that message this day. And I would pray for this in the name of our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Offertory scripture, I'll be reading uh, section 56, um, verse 5. Woe unto you, rich man, that will not give your substance to the poor, for the riches will kink your soul, and this shall be your lamentation in the day of visitation, and of judgment and of indignation. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and my soul is not saved. Woe unto you, poor man, whose hearts are not broken, whose spirits are not contrite whose bellies are not satisfied, whose hands are not stayed from laying hold upon other men's goods, whose eyes are full of greediness, who will not labor with their own hands. Let us, um, this to be reminded that, let us be remembered that, um, that we are to always give and do it so with one heart and a contract with the spirits or being contract with the Lord in one heart and one mind and giving um, willingly and not um, being um, selfish and being refusing to give and always remember to impart of those things that the Lord would require of us to impart um, if you bow with me our Father we thank you for this day um, we thank you um, being able to meet here in this church and um, worship you and I would ask that, uh, that the money that is given here this morning that it might be used according to thy will and thy guidance directions as it goes through those hands um, and so you put it where it needs to go and um, thank you for everything you have given us in Jesus name I ask thee Amen
My scripture reading this morning comes out of the uh, book of Mark, chapter 14. We're going to start at verse 33 and uh, read down through verse 40. Mark 14, verse 33, reading down through 40. But Peter said unto Jesus, Although all men be offended with thee, yet I will never be offended. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, this, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake more vehemently, If I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, which was a garden. And the disciples began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy and to complain in their hearts, wondering if this be the Messiah. And Jesus, knowing their hearts, said to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and rebuked them, and said unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tear ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Then over in the Book of Mormon, we're going to turn to the Book of Mosiah, chapter 8, verse 34. We read these words, Yea, even so he shall be led, crucified, and slain the flesh becoming subject even unto death, the will of the Son being swallowed up in the will of the Father. May God bless us this morning as we would seek to come in to the presence of Almighty God.
Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's certainly a pleasure for me to be with you this morning as we would gather together to uh, worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, it seems like it's been uh, quite some time since I've occupied this pulpit at this place. And uh, just to give you a little quick background, uh, I grew up in the RLDS church, like many of you did, and uh, I grew up out at Oak Grove, Oak Grove, Missouri. And uh, that's uh, what I call the land of my fathers, and the reason I use that term is because my dad was pastor there for about 14 years, and part of him, his dad was pastored, and part of him, his dad was pastor out of Oak Grove, and, and so that was kind of the land of my fathers. It was also the land of my wife's fathers, because she had, her grandfather was pastor for eight years. Uh, he ended in 76, we came home in 76, and my dad followed Grandpa Bill Davies, uh, was pastor out there, and so that was kind of the land of our fathers, and then we had this experience, um, where uh, the Lord called us kind of out of the land of our fathers, so to speak, and we now attend South Chrysler. We've been at South Chrysler about 10 years now. We're very glad that we could, uh, could go there and uh, had a very unique experience with that, and uh, we've been trying to minister in that uh, part of the vineyard uh, these past 10 years and uh, very been blessed, and I know my children have been very blessed to uh, participate and be uh, at that branch and to uh, be with those saints and and so I'm just very glad that I could come and can share with you this morning uh, the uh, words, I believe, of eternal life, the words of hope and, and of peace and of comfort and uh, what the Lord, I think, desires for us as a people to do and to be about. And so here not too long ago, I got a call from Brother Cloyce Kaufman. Brother Cloyce is, the, I think, the pastor up at Maysville. And he calls me and he says, uh, hey, I want you to come speak. And I said, sure, let's get a date. And um, he gives me a date. And and then a little bit later, he calls me back and says, hey, can your, can your daughters come? And I said, uh, well, let, let me check. You know, they're getting older. They've got their own lives now. They're doing their own thing. And so I checked, and, and they couldn't come. Um, and so I, uh, I called Cloyce back, and uh, he, in no certain terms, said, well, if your daughters aren't coming, we don't want you. That's what he told me. And, no, and not quite like that. He said a little more diplomatically, you know, you know. But so I'm thinking, well, how, does, how do you think that made me feel? He doesn't want me. He wants my daughters. Well, I, I rejoiced in that. I just loved that. I, I absolutely loved that he wanted my daughters to come and, because he wanted them to come and do what they did this morning. And, and last time when they did this, they played together. That was their first time ever playing together. And so you've witnessed this morning the second time. This is the second time that they've been together in that type of ministry. And it just thrills my heart that they're able to do that and that I hope that they will continue to do that and realize the tremendous benefit of doing that and helping to be a blessing to the Lord's people. And so I'm just very glad that we can be here as a family and that we can share in uh, the work of the Lord. This morning I want to talk a little bit about uh, a topic, a topic that's, I guess, is not very popular. Uh, it's a topic we don't really hear a whole lot about. We don't seem to talk about it as much as I would like to hear us talk about it and we see Jesus do this in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and that is this giving up of his will, this idea of surrender, surrendering to God. And so, uh, you know, I attend South Chrysler, and I see a, uh, I see a lot of self-determination in the saints to, to serve God. And uh, I'm the guy that calls. I call every quarter. I call all 50 or 60 guys, approximately, all the priests and elders that can go out and preach, because we... We go out to 12 different locations, and I make calls to all these guys once a quarter and, and see if they can go out and I fill the schedule of these places for a, for a three-month period. 
And so I see that, that guys, they're very willing to go. And I see this self-determination to want to serve, uh, which I love. It makes my life easy. I like that. Um, and uh, there's this great self-determination to, uh, to serve the Lord, uh, which is good, which we need. Um, and even this morning, you know, you think about self-determination. And this morning I'm kind of pricked in my heart about Joe's class as he brings up this whole idea of tithing and filing a tithing statement. And uh, I've been kind of lax on that in my life. Uh, and so I realized that Jared Smith, I need some more self-determination. I need to, to work a little bit harder at, uh, at keeping that commandment, at keeping that law and doing those things that the Lord has called us to do. And, and uh, I'm sure that uh, all of us can look at our lives and go, you know, we need a little more self-determination to uh, make it to church. I was here at 930, and it wasn't this crowded at 930, and so there could be some self-determination to try to get here on church on time, and there could be some self, more self-determination for the priesthood to be more involved in home ministry, let's say. And so all of us can look in our lives, and we can see parts of us that we know that we need to basically put a little more effort into, don't we? That we need a little more self-determination at, uh, at, in pursuing God and pursuing Him and doing that, okay? So Brother Oakman, he makes a very good statement about self-determination, okay? And this is what he says about this. He says, unless self-determination issues in self-surrender, it's apostasy. Unless self-determination issues in self-surrender, it's apostasy. And then he, go, he also says, out of the call of Christ in the age of dilemma, he says, the ultimate of the Christian life, though the word ultimate, of course, would mean the highest, nothing higher than that, the ultimate of the Christian life is surrender to the will of God. Okay? So we want to look at this idea of surrendering to God this morning. Okay? Maybe what that looks like. We'll look at a couple of stories related to that. And uh, we're going to look at a few things related to this. So back at uh, South Crystal, I had this, like I said, I had this experience. We went to South Crystal. We started to go there about a year or two into that experience of being over there. I got asked to teach a class to the priesthood. Now, I think I got asked not because of my vast spiritual knowledge. I think I was the new guy that was there, and they wanted the new guy to teach the class. And so they asked me to teach this class to the priesthood on, on faith is what they wanted, which was a very interesting topic for me to, to teach on and and so uh, I started in teaching in this class uh, on faith, and um, I used uh, Hebrews 11.6 was kind of the theme scripture that I used. And then with that, then I brought in what I call the original doctrine. If you had a doctrine and covenants, here's mine. If you had a doctrine and covenants, but it was an 1835 edition, it would look a little bit different than ours that we have today. The 1835, of course, had the doctrine of the church, and so I brought in this doctrine into this class uh, on faith. Um, and, uh, of course, that doctrine we know is lectures on faith. And so I used that Hebrews 11.6. I brought in, I brought in the, doc, uh, the lectures on faith in that, and uh, I got into this class. So also I did because I was dealing with spiritual principles that our minds, I know for me I like to see something. If I can see it, maybe it's presented a little bit better, and I can, I can grasp uh, what the guy's trying to teach us. So I used a whiteboard. I had a whiteboard, and I had it set up up front up there. And, and up there, I drew kind of three things on this whiteboard to try to, to introduce this class and kind of help them see what I was trying to help them teach about this idea of faith and faith in God. 
And that was that the first thing I drew up there was a cross. I drew the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is, as Oakman says, is the glory of God. It's where Jesus rules the moral, invisible universes from the cross. It's where uh, Paul, in the New Testament, he obtained the cross. He became, as it says in Galatians 2 and 20, he became crucified with Christ. Okay, so I drew this cross up there, and then right next to the cross, then I drew a gap. Okay, I drew a gap, an uh, area that uh, was like a, like a chasm, something that I, eventually I told those men that, that we can't cross this gap. And then on the other side of the gap there, I kind of drew the people, and I drew the priesthood. And really, I drew the Melchizedek priesthood because the spiritual condition of the people will go no higher than where the Melchizedek priesthood are at. If the Melchizedek priesthood don't accomplish the work in their lives, then the people will not accomplish that. It's, it's the Melchizedek priesthood that are responsible for this. And, of course, this was a class of just priesthood in general, all the priesthood. But uh, I put that up there and said, now, here we are. And what I called that location, then, on the other side of that gap, I called that the foot of the cross. We've come up to the foot of the cross. There's this gap that's there, and then there's Christ. Okay? And then I told them that for us to cross that gap, that that is, the word I used was, with them was impossible. For man to cross this gap, to become like Paul, who was an apostle, to become like him, it was impossible for us to cross that gap. Now, why would I use the word impossible? Okay, so there was times in Jesus' ministry where he talked cryptically, right? He talked in, in ways that uh, he wanted the people to try to think about and try to understand, uh, and he had kind of left it to them to kind of come to their own conclusions. But then there was times where Jesus spoke plainly, okay? And he spoke plainly, and he uh, gave it, he called a spade a spade, we would say. And then one of these experiences is dealing with Lazarus. Okay? And this is what it says out of John 11, 11. It says, These things he said, and after he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of, excuse me, howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought, that he had spoken of taking rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Okay? So Jesus was kind of speaking cryptically to him. He's sleeping. But then he realizes, hey, his disciples, they're not understanding this. And so he goes into plain language. Lazarus is dead. Okay? So Jesus uses this plain language in another story. And this is what we want to get into. This first story is out of Matthew chapter 19. Verses, uh, well, we'll start here at 23, but we really want to maybe back up and go a little bit before that. Matthew chapter 19 is a story about the, the rich young man. The rich young ruler, we find this in Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Luke 18. It's in all three, three uh, or, uh, testimonies. And uh, we find this story, and, and of course, we read down through that, and we're going to pick the story up about verse 23. So Jesus has already got done dealing with this young man. And it says in 22, it says, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He left. He walked away and he was sad because he didn't want to do what Jesus said. Okay, and then it says, And again I say unto you, excuse me, verse 23 says, 
Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard this, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? Okay? Now, the question is, is why were they exceedingly amazed? Was Jesus exceedingly amazed? No. Jesus knew what was going on, but they were exceedingly amazed. It also uses that they were astonished out of measure. Okay? Why was it that the disciples couldn't see what Jesus saw? What the disciples saw was a man who, in their minds, dwelt in righteousness. How did they view righteousness? Well, what did Jesus ask that young man? They or asked that man about his life. He asked him about keeping the commandments. And he listed six of them, six commandments. And so Jesus then, his view was different than the disciples' view. Okay? The disciples thought that this guy was a righteous man. He was dwelling in righteousness. But Jesus saw otherwise. Jesus saw that this man, he lacked something. What lack I had? And Jesus told him what he lacked. And what, what this man lacked, of course, was faith. Okay? He lacked the faith to offer sacrifice so that he could become like Jesus, so he could cross that gap. He could cross over that gap. And so that's what uh, the, the disciples, they, they couldn't understand this because they were living, like I said, when I showed the, the cross, you have the gap, and then you have the foot of the cross, and that's where I said there's a priesthood. That's pretty much where we're at in the, in, here at South Crystal, and I believe it's probably pretty true throughout the Restoration, is that as priesthood we live our lives at the foot of the cross. That's where we find ourselves. Okay? And so uh, Jesus was uh, letting them know that, that through faith that these things were possible. Because we go and we read on, and it says, but, and the disciple says, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld their thoughts. Okay? So what's going on here with Christ? He's seeing something that the natural eye cannot see. Okay? When we live by faith, we see that which the natural eye cannot see. Okay? So Jesus was seeing their thoughts. You can't see people's thoughts, but Jesus could see them because Jesus lived by faith. He beheld their thoughts and said unto them, With men this is, what's the word? Impossible. Remember I talked about that gap, crossing that gap? With men this is impossible. That's why I used that word with the priesthood. It's impossible for us to cross that gap. But if they will forsake all things for my sake, with God whatsoever, I, whatsoever things I speak are possible. Okay? So, that's, so this is very interesting to me. I went back and I read the, uh, the King James Version. I wanted to compare the inspired version to the King James, what Jesus said in the King James or what's listed in the King James compared to what Joseph Smith brought in the inspired version. And the King James version, it reads, but Jesus beheld them, it didn't say he saw their thoughts, it didn't say that, and said unto them, with men this is impossible. So that's the same. And he says, but with God all things are possible. So what's left out of the King James is this phrase here, but if they will forsake all things for my sake. So what do we see here? We see the Lord taking some of the plain and precious truths of the gospel, 
that were taken out, that Joseph Smith, through the new translation, was putting back in, and that's the idea that to demonstrate faith in God, that faith only comes through this work of sacrifice. It's only through sacrifice that uh, faith is obtained in God. And that's what he called that rich young ruler to, to. He called him to offer an acceptable sacrifice. God spoke. He heard it. But his response was, yeah, I don't think I want to do that. I'm not, I don't think I want to go down that road. And as Restoration Saints, that's, the, our, that's been our response, I'm going to say, for the last 30 years, is that our response to our Heavenly Father is, yeah, yeah, I'll serve you, but I don't think I want to do that. I'm not going to go down that road. And because of that, then we find ourselves securely fashioned at the foot of the cross. And at the foot of the cross, then there's this blindness problem. There's this inability to see. And just like the disciples, they saw a man that they believed was righteous, but Jesus saw a man who remained in unrighteousness because they couldn't see. They couldn't see. Now, couple that with uh, this idea that it's impossible, we want to look at a, a very famous quote here. I say it's famous. Uh, it comes out of the it comes out of the uh, sermon that Brother Oakman did on the crucifixion. You can go read this online. You can also listen to it. That's a quote on agency. Okay, because I think if we're ever going to dwell in the kingdom of God, if we're ever going to obtain righteousness, we have to understand that for us it's impossible to do this thing in and of ourselves. Okay. But with God, it is possible if we're willing to offer sacrifice. And so this is what Brother Oakman says about this agency, this gift that we prize and treasure as we should. He said, I said before and I say again, we talk a lot about agency and we prize and treasure it as we should. My dear friends, whatever agency has the power to do for us and in us, it does not, it does not have within itself the power to deliver us from ourselves. No man can lift himself off himself the sinner. We are free. Yes, we are free for the origin of our actions is ourselves. The origin of our actions is ourselves. That's the gift of agency, that we're free, that we get to decide. Okay? Our parents don't decide. Our kids don't decide. God doesn't decide. Satan doesn't decide. We get to decide. When we make decisions that originate with us, then that's the gift of agency. It's not just a matter of making a decision. It's not making a choice. Well, I made this choice. No, that choice has to originate with you. That's the deeper meaning. That's the gift of this gift of agency that we prize and treasure that originates with us, that we are free to choose. It originates with us. Okay, And so what Brother Ogden's saying is that this gift of agency, just like Jesus said, with men this is impossible, he's saying through the gift of agency, we cannot save ourselves. can't be done. The gift of agency won't do this for us. Okay. So the great story then we're going to look at that relates to this is a story that we all know that we're all aware of. Uh, and we're going to read down through it. It's going to be uh, Genesis chapter 22. Starting with, we'll re- start with the first verse, and we're going to read down through 15, the first 15 verses. This is uh, the story of Abraham. 
Okay? Abraham and Isaac. We all know this story, very famous story. This is starting verse 1. It says, And it came to pass after these things that God did try Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Behold, here am I. And the Lord said, Take now thy son, thine only Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And they clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. This is a three-day travels. They walked three days. They got everything together. Kind of on a camping trip, you might say. And they, uh, he gets to the place and he sees the, he sees the place far off. And then he says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it, excuse me, laid it upon his uh, burnt offering and laid it upon his back. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and Isaac his son. And they both of them, uh, and both of them together. And they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham. So he got his son as they're going up. Isaac was aware of what was going on. Isaac knew kind of what to expect. He knew what his dad had. He knew what his dad was going to do. And Isaac spake to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? So Isaac knew what was going to happen. He was aware of this. He could see that, hey, we're missing something here. Okay? And then... uh, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went went both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And an angel of the Lord called out from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here am I. And the angel said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only Isaac, from me. So my question for you this morning is then, what was the origin of Abraham's actions when he offered his only son upon the altar. Did it originate with Abraham? Was that Abraham's idea? How long did Abraham wait for his son? How long? 25 years. God told Abraham when he was 75 he was going to be a father of a great nation. No kids. And he waits. He waits. How long does he wait? He goes 11 years and he gets tired of waiting. And he takes matters into his own hands, and he has a son. But it's not the son. It's a son. And he waits 14 more years. He waits. 14. And he finally has Isaac, the son of the free woman, not of the bondwoman. And not a little bit later, down the road, then the Lord asked Abraham, to offer his son upon the altar. What was the origin of Abraham's actions? 
It wasn't Abraham. Abraham didn't make those decisions. It did not originate with Abraham. It didn't originate with him. It originated with God. So the way men cross the gap, the way men become crucified with Christ, the way men obtain faith in God and power with him to behold him face to face is to offer sacrifice. Sacrifice that God calls men to. Meaning we cannot call ourselves. We can't do it. God must call us. We must listen And as we listen, then we must do. We must do what the Lord calls us to do. Now, there's another another really big problem. At the foot of the cross, like I said, that's where where most most of us live, because I think most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we find ourselves in the same position as that rich young man. We're in the same position he's in, in a spiritual sense. We're up against this wall, if you will. Okay? And the Lord wants to bring us out from under that. He wants to bring the Melchizedek priesthood out from under that. He wants the Melchizedek priesthood to become like Paul, who was crucified with Christ. He wants to bring us across that gap through faith as we're willing to hear his voice and offer acceptable sacrifice to him. So besides uh, this inability to see at the foot of the cross, there's this other big problem. Major problem. It's a, it's a huge wound in the church of Jesus Christ. And that's unbelief. When we live our lives at the foot of the cross, I'm going to tell you that we do not believe. We say we believe as Latter-day Saints. We give it good lip service. And we put a fair show in the flesh in the keeping of the commandments, which I've been fairly decent at. But in my heart of hearts, when you really get down to it, does Jared Smith really believe. And if I'm full of unbelief, then what happens in the church with unbelief? There's this terrible thing that happens that we desperately need that we haven't had in the church for the last 30 years. Because of unbelief, something's done away with. There's something done away because of unbelief. And that's the gifts. Okay? The gifts. And there's a gift, a couple gifts we want to look at this morning that are vitally, vitally important to the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, Oakman says without this gift, there is no church. Okay? So we want to look at these gifts. I'm going to read a list a little bit about what he says about that for you. Okay? He says basically that there are uh, two gifts that are set in the church. Two gifts that are set in the church. And one is primary, and one is secondary. Okay, the primary gift, it's basic. He uses this word basic, Apostle Lutman does. And he says it's, uh, it's primary, and that it's foundational. There's a key for us right there. It's foundational. It's the foundational gift in the church. And so it's not a gift, then, that kind of floats up in the sky. It's not a lofty gift. It's up in the clouds. It's a gift that's down in the dirt, It's down on the ground. It's the foundation. It's the foundation of the church. And so he says uh, that that, that's the first gift, and the second gift is like unto it, if you will. It's secondary, and it goes along with that first gift. And this is what he says about those gifts. When I read this, this was kind of like began to expand my mind like it hadn't been expanded before. He says, uh, 
But basically, these two gifts are the axis upon which the whole spiritual world revolves. The world knows nothing about them. Nothing. These two gifts, Brother Ogden says, the world knows nothing about them. Nothing. They are the instruments through which God ministers to his church. They are the instruments. God ministers to his church through these two gifts. Outside of these gifts, and this is where it began to, began to bring great condemnation to Jared Smith. He says, outside of these gifts, there is no ministry. There may be instruction, there may be new ideas, there may be even progress, but no real ministry outside of these two gifts. What are those gifts? Foundational gift. It's the apostolic gift and the prophetic gift. Those are the two gifts. The whole spiritual world revolves around those two gifts, and he says that the world knows nothing about them. And he says there's no real ministry outside of those two gifts. So I began to think about that in my life, and I'm thinking, well, if I'm not bringing apostolic ministry, and if I'm not bringing prophetic ministry, then I'm not really bringing real ministry. And what's real ministry look like? Where do we go to see real ministry? Well, we go back to Jesus. He's the guy. He was the great apostle. He brought real ministry. What did his ministry do for the people? What did it do for them? It changed them. It changed who they were. It changed their nature. Real ministry changes men's lives. So if it's not real, then, and it's Jared Smith, and he's not an apostle, he's not a prophet, what kind of ministry have I been bringing for the last 30 years? Well, that's kind of what I call it's feel-good ministry. You stand up and you preach and you help the people feel good. And they feel good and they go home and they talk about what you preached on. They sit around the dinner table and say, yeah, I like that testimony, I like this illustration, this was good, this was good. But in the end, they don't change. They don't do anything about what was said. Nobody changes. And so what Brother Oakman is saying was without the apostolic gift in the church, there is no ability for people to hear the word to change. And that began to be quite a shocker to me in my life. Shocking. Because I'm wondering, the Church of Jesus Christ, we make the claim that we are the church. We make the claim that we are the only true and living church. And does Jesus Christ have a true and living church that has no apostles in it? Where are the apostolic gift in the church of Jesus Christ today? Where is it? If it doesn't exist, he says the church doesn't exist. He says it can't because there's no one to rightly testify of Christ. So he also says uh, in his sermon on the crucifixion, he says we've been a pretty bad way. If this church, uh, excuse me, we'd be in a pretty bad way in this church if the only apostles in this church were the Council of Twelve. If all we had was twelve apostles, he said, we're, gonna, we're in a world of hurt. What is the apostolic gift? To some it is given by the Holy Ghost to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he was crucified for the sins of the world. This is the apostolic gift given to those who seek him and who are qualified to receive this knowledge which comes through faith. 
Just as much as the gift of the Spirit is prophecy and healing, indeed it is better because it is primary. We are admonished to seek early to see the best gifts. Without this gift, there could be no church, for no one could rightly testify of the Lord. Where are we at as Latter-day Saints in our claim? And so you see, in my mind, I'm realizing that we have this huge, huge, and I mean it is huge, unbelief problem. It's massive. It's shocking to me how big this problem is. When we have the, ba- the basic gift of the church, which is down in the dirt, which is primary, which is to know who Jesus is and that he was crucified for the sins of the world, that that gift really doesn't exist in the restoration. Now, maybe you can say, well, Brother Smith, I know a couple guys that I feel like are, have that apostolic ministry, and maybe there's a few guys you could, you could put on a piece of paper. If I, list, I, list, I might ask, hey, list the 12 apostles in the church. Well, who, who do we put out? What do we say? So God is uh, God's calling us, isn't he? He's calling us to a greater revelation of who Jesus is. He's calling the Melchizedek priesthood to a greater revelation. And the problem is what I'm seeing coming is that if we do not change, if we're not willing to cross the gap and become crucified with Christ, because that's how men become apostles, that's where the testimony is obtained, it's at being crucified. If we do not cross that gap through faith as Melchizedek priesthood members, the people will not follow. The people will only come up to where the Melchizedek priesthood is at. And so if we don't do this, what I'm fearing is coming is that uh, Doctrine and Covenants 142 is going to come into play. And Doctrine and Covenants 142, brothers and sisters, is the section that we read that we say it's not for us. Who's it for? Well, it's for the COC folks. It's for the, it's the Mormon folks. It's for the, uh, the, these, these factional groups. It's not for us. And what's 142 say? It talks about the opportunity to assist those of my people. That's the term he uses And there's my people. Are we God's people? The opportunity to assist will have passed. And the restoration branches are going to have an end coming to them if we do not change. There's beautiful news, brothers and sisters, if we do change. If we're willing to make the sacrifices necessary for what lies before us, God will change many things in his church. He will heal relationships. He will bless you with understandings and insights that you've yet to receive. He will pour out the window, windows of heaven will open up and he will pour out the blessings so marvelous and so beautiful and so wonderful. And then we will have this ability to do what God's called us to do, which is to change the world. But without apostolic ministry, we cannot change the world. Did Jesus' ministry change everybody? No. Didn't reach everybody. Who, didn't, who did it not reach? Who are the guys in the Scripture? Pharisees and the Sadducees. Didn't reach them. I think as a people, we've been the same people for the last 20, 25 years. We're the same. We haven't really changed. Not as guilty as anybody on that. And sometimes I think, well, you know, our hearts, our hearts aren't ready to hear. I love the hymn, A Far and Old Judea, 
Today the heavens are open to those prepared to hear. If you're prepared to hear, and of all the people on the earth that should be prepared to hear, it should be us Latter-day Saints. We should be prepared to hear. But if there's no one to preach, if there's no one to testify of Christ, then there's no change. If there's no change, we stay the same people we are. We go home and we talk about the sermon and say, that's good. I'm coming back next week and I'm going to feel good again. It's a feel-good gospel and there's no change. Jesus didn't come to change our feelings. In fact, I read, read down through the scriptures, Jesus not once ever asked anybody, hey, how you feeling? Isn't that interesting? He never asked Mary and Martha, hey, you guys feeling okay? Peter, James, and John, are you guys feeling all right? Never asked that. Jesus didn't come to change our feelings. He came to change our nature. Our nature must change as we hear the Lord speak to us, as we're willing to make those sacrifices that come from knowing him. We must change. If we don't, the direction we're headed, it's not going to be like we think it's going to be. It's not going to be what we think. Just like the disciples, what they thought happened was Jesus was going into Jerusalem. What they thought was going to happen and what actually happened were almost polar opposites. And if we do not change, if we're not willing to make the changes, if we're not willing to hear the Lord's voice, what's going to happen and what we want to have happen are going to be two very, very different things. God loves us. He loves the saints. He looks upon us with great desires and great longings in his heart. He has so much, I mean so much for us. But we love, we love the world too much. Jared Smith loves the world too much. And I know I need to change. So God's calling us this morning. He's calling us and he's speaking to us to be prepared to go and do what he would call us to go and do. May God bless us as we would seek to live out the will of the Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen and amen.
Hosanna. Hosanna to God and the Lamb. Gracious God, we are so thankful for that ministry that we've heard from our brother Jared this morning. Challenging us, each and every one of us, to come up to that higher calling in Christ Jesus. Father, that we truly might see those gifts among us once again. I pray your blessing upon this congregation and each one may be filled with a portion of that Holy Spirit that truly challenges us all. I'm very grateful for the many blessings and gifts that you have given us each one. Those spiritual gifts that sustain us that were created in the beginning to sustain us on this side of heaven. And now as we go from this place to partake of those spiritual gifts of food, I would pray your holy blessing upon them. And as we fellowship together, we might continue to feel that spirit moving among us. I just pray, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, that we might be truly willing to sacrifice. And I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.